Our text for today is from our gospel reading, Luke chapter 2, the story of when Christ was presented at the temple in Jerusalem. It is all about the faithfulness of God to his promises. And our focus is going to be on this man named Simeon. Now, Simeon is what I would call, and for that matter, Anna as well, of course. These are what I would describe as the perfect example of the saints of the Old Testament period of time who were waiting and waiting all of those years for the coming of the Messiah, of the Christ, to this world. And it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until it says he saw the Lord's Christ, that is the Messiah. He would not die. Simeon is oftentimes portrayed, and we understand him to be an older man. He might not be quite as old as Anna is, but maybe he's somewhere in his 60s or his 70s. And I want you to try to imagine Simeon as a young boy, about 60 years from this time, say about 63 years from this moment. For it was in 63 BC that the Roman Empire conquered Judea and the city of Jerusalem. And Simeon would have been a little boy or you know, a young man when he first saw Roman soldiers marching through his neighborhood and through the streets of Jerusalem. It would have been the first time you ever saw a Roman legion and their swords and their shields and their armor and their might. You can only imagine that little boy Simeon and what he thought as he saw these soldiers marching through his town. Simeon was part of a family that was a very faithful family. They would have been part of what is called the remnant of the people of God. And the people of God at this time, you have to imagine a, a mighty, beautiful tree that has been cut down and hacked with an axe. And all that is left is now a stump but out of that old rotting stump of the people of God, there is a shoot. There is a sprout that is growing, that is green, that is full of life. It is the faithful remnant of God's people. And Simeon would have been raised to know the Hebrew Scriptures and the promises of the Christ, of the Messiah since he was that little boy watching those soldiers march through the streets of Jerusalem. But it says in verse 25 of our text, now Simeon as an older man, 63 years later, it says there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him, he took that Christ child, that little baby up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, let's stop. that moment waiting for the consolation of Israel the redemption of Jerusalem waiting for the Lord's Christ when did all of this begin when were these promises made well we have to go back don't we we have to go all the way back Genesis chapter 3 into the garden where the first of humanity, Adam and Eve, have believed the lie of the serpent of Satan and they have eaten of that fruit and they have desired to be like God and they've turned away from him and God brings curses down upon them. He brings curses onto the serpent, onto Satan, but that curse of the serpent is a promise to them. And this is what it says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head, the head of the serpent, and you shall bruise or strike his heel. And the image there, of course, is of a one, the seed of a woman, a man who sees the serpent, raises his foot, and brings his foot down to crush the head of the serpent. If you crush the head of a serpent of a snake, it destroys that serpent. But in the process of that serpent and of Satan and of evil being destroyed, you see the serpent strikes his heel and the venom and the poison of the lie of sin and of death itself and of hell itself goes into that seed of a woman. All the way back here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the promise of Jesus Christ on a cross, the seed of a woman suffering and dying, taking the venom and the poison of lie, of sin into himself. It's a curse against Satan. It is the promise of this Savior to Adam and Eve. And it's that promise that they wanted to hand down through the generations, of course, to their son Cain and then Abel. But you know the story. Cain, who in his jealousy over God's love for Abel, kills Abel and murders him. So Abel's now gone. Cain is sent out to wander the earth. And it already, at the very beginning, looks like it's all over. And the promise is no more but then out of grace and mercy God gives Adam and Eve another son named Seth and the promise of that savior goes to Seth and then down Seth's line to the coming of who? Noah and Noah living in an age now as sin has spread through the earth and it is a violent time and it is a terrible time in the earth and so God sends a flood 
to wipe out the evil of the earth. And again, it looks like God's promise of the Savior is all over. Here comes the flood, but God literally keeps Noah and his family afloat. In the ark, he saves his people and his promise of the coming Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, is kept alive in the family of Moses. And then down the line of Moses after the 40 days and the 40 nights and all the time they were on the ark and the waters subsided and the promise goes to a man named Abram or Abraham who when he was 75 years old God came to him and said, Abraham, you've had no child. Your wife Sarah is unable to have a child, but I am going to make you into a great nation as numerous as the stars of the sky. And from your family line, all the world is going to be blessed. I'm going to give you a piece of real estate as well where all this can happen, the promised land. And at 75 years old, you can only imagine Abraham going out of the tent and counting the stars. But then the years pass. Year after year after year after year after God had made that promise. And again, it looks like the promises of God all the way from Adam and Eve and down the family line that it's not going to come true until 25 years later. Can you imagine? He's 100 years old. And Sarah gives birth to Isaac, which means laughter, because you remember what Sarah did when she was told she was going to have a child in her old age and in her barrenness, and she laughed. Isaac, the child of the promise, handed down. And Isaac then to Jacob. And Jacob had his 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel and his son Judah and the tribe of Judah that the promise would go down to. But you remember there was a famine that took place. A famine which threatened the lives of Jacob and of his sons. And again, it looks like the promise of God is all over. What can be done? But oh, you remember that in the evil of the sons of Jacob, of Israel, they had done what? They had sold their brother Joseph into slavery in his coat of many colors. And there he is now in Egypt in a place of honor at the right hand of the Pharaoh. And though they intended it for evil, God intended it for good because now Joseph and his wisdom given by God had set aside all of this grain and food in those barns and now Jacob and his sons were kept alive and the promise is kept alive and God's people were in Egypt for about 430 years they'd become a great nation but the Pharaoh got threatened and now they're enslaved and again, after, can you imagine the years of waiting and waiting for over 400 years is God going to keep his promise? And the people cry out to God, and God hears their cry. He remembers his promise. God keeps his promises. The Lord is faithful, and he brings them Moses, who leads them out of slavery in Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea and into the Sinai wilderness. And there at Mount Sinai, he gives them his law. The ceremonial law, with all of the 
various washings and purifications and you can eat this animal but you can't eat this animal and he gives them the tabernacle he gives them the temple what would later become the temple where the presence of God himself would dwell amongst his people God is now creating a means to incarnate himself so he can dwell in the very presence of his people in the tabernacle later the temple the very temple that Christ would be presented at as we saw in Luke chapter 2 The glory of God filling the holy of holies in the tabernacle in the temple. Why did God give all that ceremonial law? You can eat this and you can't eat that and wash this way and two turtle doves for this and you know all these things that seem so bizarre to us. Well, maybe it was hygienic, but let me just say this. Again, God keeping his people together and keeping his promises. There's a reason for this. It is what I would call baby talk and family talk baby talk because if you've ever had a little one you used to be a little one there Evan and when you're like a year old or two years old and you have a lollipop in your mouth and the lollipop falls on the carpet and you've got a dog or a cat and you pick up the lollipop and it's got the cat hair all over it and what does that little two-year-old want to do put it right back in their mouth right and you have to go oh no yucky yucky dirty gross no that's baby talk God with all of these purifications and the rituals and you can eat this and you can't eat that. His people had been in slavery in Egypt in a pagan land for over 400 years. He is trying to reprogram them, recalibrate them as to what is clean and unclean, what is holy and unholy, what is unrighteous and what is righteous. It's baby talk. He's trying to get them to think in these terms. It's also, as I said, family talk. It's the way of keeping them together as a distinct and unique group of people you have family traditions one of mine at Christmas is in England they have something called Christmas crackers some of you have heard this it's not what you eat it's a little tube that you pull and it has a pop and inside is a little toy and a little joke that's usually terrible and a paper crown and you have to in my house you have to wear the paper crown at least for the entire dinner if not for the rest of the day and we wear these silly hats and that is our custom and that's our tradition it makes us a little bit different from the families around us God is giving his people all of these dietary laws and codes and purifications and rituals and holy days as a way of trying to bind them together and keep them together so that the promise of God can be kept in them as they go into Canaan into the promised land after the 40 years of wandering because he knows that They are surrounded by people who do terrible, terrible things in their worship to their gods, Molech and Baal, sacrificing their own children to God. And after Moses dies and Joshua, he leads them into the promised land and all of those battles, they settle there. And you probably know the story of how time after time after time the people of God would become like the people around them. Sacrifice their children, the statue to Molech, bronze, superheated, hands outstretched, place the baby into the burning hands of the statue of Molech. That was the ethical good in the day in which they lived because if you didn't do that, then maybe the crops would fail. Maybe the gods, Molech and Baal, uh, would bring down their wrath. And the Israelites were the jerks, were the bad guys for not sacrificing their children. The unbelievable cultural pressure to give in was overwhelming, just as it is for us today. And they did give in and they did these terrible things and so God 
after the monarchy is established through Saul and then King David and his son Solomon through adultery. Again, amazing how God keeps his promises. And then Solomon and his two sons and the kingdom of God is divided, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And because of their wickedness and their turning away from God, God trying to keep his promises and his faithfulness to that promise made all those years back to Adam and Eve. The northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed by the Assyrian Empire, never to be seen again. And then 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire invades under King Nebuchadnezzar and destroys the city of Jerusalem. And the temple is leveled to the ground. And the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. And the people of God are taken away again into captivity and slavery. And you can only imagine being a person of God, a child of God in those days. It's all over. Where is God? I thought he made us covenants and promises. Can you imagine being taken away in chains, walking by the smoking ruin of the temple of God? And it's somewhere around this time that the glory of God indeed left and departed from the temple. That glory that had filled the tabernacle and filled the temple and the holy of holies, the glory of God was no more. The people of God are in Babylon. They're enslaved there. But the prophet Ezekiel, who lived during these days and in fact died in captivity in Babylon, the prophet Ezekiel had been given a vision of God that one day the glory of the Lord would return to his temple. I mean, can you imagine trying to believe that when you're in chains and the temple is destroyed and he gets this vision from God that one day God's presence will return to his people and in the temple, and this is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 43, he says... Ezekiel, I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is the vision that he's getting of the future. He says, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple and said to me, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. That's interesting seeing God as a man, the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. The glory of God one day will return, Ezekiel sees. And it's 70 years in captivity. And the people of God are set free. They return to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple. We talked about this over the summer. They rebuild the temple, and it's, uh, what's the theological term? Uh, the temple, and that second temple that was built, I want to complicate things for you, but it was dinky. It, it was small. It was not like Solomon's temple, and the worst part about it was that the glory of the Lord did not return. There is no uh, description as there is in Solomon's temple of God's presence coming down and filling the holy of holies. It was empty. God's presence was not there in the way that it had been before. And the people who had never seen the old temple, who were born in captivity, they were rejoicing and celebrating. We got the temple back, but all the people who remembered the splendor of the previous temple, Solomon's temple, and how the glory of the Lord filled the holy of holies, it says they were weeping and crying and they're weeping mixed with the sound of the other people celebrating. But they're back. And the waiting continues. 
And it is a period of over another 400 years where there is what we call the period of silence. That is the period between the Testaments. There is no more prophecy. There are no more prophets. There are no books of the Bible being written. There are no more direct oracles of God speaking to his people. They are waiting and waiting. And it was, the Babylonian Empire was eventually destroyed by the Persian Empire. That's why the people of God were released under Cyrus, the emperor of Persia. And the Persian Empire was there for quite some time. But then there was a man by the name of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great came with his mighty army and destroyed and took over the Persian Empire. Alexander the Great died as a fairly young man. Two of his generals took over his Greek Hellenistic Empire. It was divided into two different empires. And then there arose from this little boot-shaped peninsula in the Mediterranean Sea in the city of Rome, a new empire, the Roman Empire, which took over the whole region and in 63 BC, the Roman soldiers invaded and conquered the city of Jerusalem. And can you see this little boy named Simeon who was watching the soldiers marching through his city? Is God faithful? Is God going to keep his promises? What is God doing? And again, the image of God's people by this time, after all of that history and all of those ups and downs, it is like a tree, a mighty tree that has been cut down and hacked by an ax, and it is a stump that is rotting, but still out of that stump is growing this little sprout, this little shoot that is green, the faithful remnant of God's people. That's the kind of people that would show up the day after Christmas for worship. Oh, faithful remnant that you are here today. And Simeon had been raised to believe in all of those promises of God for all of those generations and generations and generations and waiting and waiting until we come to our text, Luke chapter 2. He's an older man now. And he has been promised by the Holy Spirit himself, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. You're going to see this day. And it says that he picked up this Christ child as he saw Mary and Joseph and moved by the Holy Spirit. And he picked this little baby up in his arms and he said, again, the words of the Nook de Menes, these are the words that we say at the end of all of our memorial services and funerals here at Our Father. It'll be said at your funeral one day Lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel this is the day but all it was was like this peasant couple with a baby. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't glory. It wasn't splendor. It wasn't a mighty army. It wasn't a whole host of the heavenly army praising God. And say, it wasn't any of that. It was a very poor couple named Mary and Joseph and a little baby. 
But with the eyes of faith, Simeon could see this is what we've been waiting for. And what do we learn here? We learn that God is faithful. The Lord keeps his promises to his people, but it is often in a way you would never even possibly conceive of. Remember, Ezekiel had seen the day that one day the glory of the Lord is going to return to the temple. What has happened here in this little baby Jesus Christ? The fullness of God within this little tiny helpless baby. The glory of the Lord has returned to the temple in Jerusalem in a way no one could have possibly imagined. Whatever is going on in your life, God is doing far more than you could possibly imagine or conceive of for your good and he has made promises to you he has made promises to all of you in Philippians chapter 1 the Lord says to you he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion with all of your sins with all of your faults and all of your mistakes and the weakness of your faith God's promise to you today is that he who began a good work in you at your baptism all those years ago he will do it and he will bring it to completion that's a promise from God to you today we remember the promise of God in Romans 8 chapter 28 that God works for good through all things the good and the bad for those who love him he is at work redeeming even the worst moments of your life you remember the words of Jesus himself at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, where he says, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you whether you know it, whether you feel it. Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. We remember the promises of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it says, Death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And God says to you that the last enemy to be defeated is death itself. And this is what Simeon goes on to say to Mary and Joseph, verse 33 and 34. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That is a shadowy glimpse that Christ is going from the manger to the cross. And it's the death of death in the death of Christ. That he was born that men no more may die. These are the promises for you. And just as Simeon waited, so we waited. Just as the people of God throughout all of that history waited in times of darkness and fear and uncertainty, so we wait and wait with the eyes of faith, knowing that one day the Lord will return. And one day we will be with him forevermore and all be together. We wait knowing that the Lord God keeps his promises. To him be all the glory. Amen.